Asher, this Tuesday, August the 3rd. The 3rd. How are you doing this Tuesday? It's lovely and warm and bright in Salford. Lovely day today. Welcome to your Richie Allen radio show. I'm with you. I'm on my lonesome today. It's me having a chat with you for as long as it lasts. I think it'll last quite a while. But you never know with these things. You cannot reach me any longer on Twitter, so you need to do so through my website, which is richieallen.co.uk. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Yeah, I've been a busy old bee today, so I have. I've been uploading things to the website like a good thing. I've been typing like a good thing for most of the day. Get on to richieallen.co.uk and leave comments. Leave comments, I tell you. If it's good enough for the Mail Online, it's good enough for yours truly. I'm going to run down the, what I think to be the most interesting stories of the day, you and me. And as I said, I will read those comments out as they come in, so please keep them coming in. To the comments I did not read out yesterday, I apologise profusely. In the phone-in show, it's difficult for me with comments coming in to concentrate on the calls and all of that. So I apologise for the many comments that came in that didn't get read out yesterday. I won't do it to you again today. I promise you, it was a very, very good phone-in yesterday. I enjoyed the calls. Some sad calls, of course, and some very, very interesting calls as well. Thanks to all of the callers. When I get back from my holliers, we'll do plenty of phone-ins. I kid you not. What's life like in your parish, then, in your neck of the woods? What's it like today? What's going on? What is going on? When I ask, I, I do mean it. I want to know. Please, it'll help me fill. I don't need to fill. Spiro Skouras this afternoon got in touch with me. Thank heavens he did. He's very good like that, is Spiro. Very good journalist. Like him, because he works a full-time day job and still manages to put out some excellent content on YouTube and on Activist Post. Come here, Richie, says Spiro, in his, in his Arizonan accent. Come here, he says. Have you heard what the New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has been saying this morning in New York? I said, no, I haven't, Spiro. What has, be, what has Bill O or Bill de Blasio been saying? Well, he told a press conference this morning that uh, basically he's mandating inoculations for a range of indoor venues. From now on, if you're a resident of New York City, you will need to be jabbed in order to do certain things. Right? Whether you go to a venue or you are employed by a venue, we're talking indoor eateries, we're talking gyms and entertainment centres. Would you like to hear a little bit of Bill de Blasio? This is tyranny writ large. I can't sugarcoat this at all. So today I announce a new approach, which we're calling the Key to NYC Pass. The Key to New York City. When you hear those words... I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things that are available in this city. This is a miraculous place, literally full of wonders. And if you're vaccinated, all that's going to open up to you. You'll have the key 
you can open the door. But if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. Wow. This is really astounding now. It is. It's, it isn't surprising to you or me because this is the thing we expected to happen. But New York City, the Big Apple, the city that never sleeps, freedom, liberals, free-minded people, artists, actors, actresses, theatrical people. Wow. Putting up with this. This is the it's a wonderful city. Lots of stuff going on, but you won't be able to participate in it unless you're a jab, says Bill de Blasio. It's absolutely astounding. Vaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. Yeah. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. If you don't get vaccinated, you can't live a good, full and healthy life, said de Blasio, and he went on. The key to NYC Pass will be a first-in-the-nation approach. It will require vaccination for workers and customers in indoor dining, in indoor fitness facilities, indoor entertainment facilities. This is going to be a requirement. The only way to patronize these establishments indoors will be if you're vaccinated, at least one dose. The same for folks in terms of work. They'll need at least one dose. This is crucial because we know that this will encourage a lot more vaccination. We've seen it already. We've seen the impact of the mandate we've put in place for city workers already starting to move people to vaccination. We've obviously seen the positive impact of incentive as well. The goal here is to convince everyone that this is the time. If we're going to stop the Delta variant, the time is now. And that means getting vaccinated right now. This new policy will be phased in over the coming weeks. Phased in over the coming weeks. More details. This new policy will be phased in over the coming weeks. Yes, said that. So we've been working with the business community, getting input. We're going to do more over the next few weeks. The final details of the policy will be announced and implemented in the week of August 16th. So over the next couple of weeks, getting more feedback, finalizing the policy, publishing it, and beginning to implement it. We'll then spend most of a month educating people, going out to businesses, receiving calls from businesses, answering questions and concerns, making sure everyone understands the new approach. And then on September 13th, during that week, we'll begin inspections and enforcement. Yeah, we'll go out and we'll educate people, and then we'll move on to inspections and enforcement, says Bill de Blasio. Yeah. Wow. This actually happened. This isn't a parody. Now, I'll tell you, we know those conversations with the business community are crucial. We've had a lot of them already. What we're hearing from so many folks in the business community is they understand it's time, but they need government to lead. That's going to help them to do what they need to do. Not everyone's going to agree with this. I understand that. But for so many people, this is going to be the life-saving act. That or maybe not. That we're putting a mandate in place it's going to guarantee a much higher level of vaccination in this city. And that is the key to protecting people and the key to our recovery. That's why it's the key to NYC. The key to NYC Pass opens a lot of doors. The key to NYC Pass. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? Sounds, it rolls off the tongue there, Bill de Blasio. 
the key to NYC. You can't live a good life, a full life. You can't participate unless you show that you've been vaccinated or jabbed. We're telling businesses that they've got no choice to to, to, to comply with this, to participate in the scheme. We will educate them as to how they must do it and then we'll move on to enforcement. This is, this is tyranny. And we need it. We'll be issuing a mayoral executive order and a health commissioner's order. Those are the legal tools necessary to implement this approach. And Wait for us. we know that this is what's going to turn the tide. And we also know that people are going to get a really clear message. Clear message now. This is the blackmail. If you want to participate in our society fully, you got to get vaccinated. you got to get vaccinated. It's time. All the answers, all the information's out there. You've seen over 160 million Americans get vaccinated safely. You've seen it make the difference. The only reason we're having the recovery is vaccination. Mm. Unconfirmed rumours... We're talking about a certain Gerald Salente marching from Kingston, New York State, upstate New York to New York City with a baseball bat in his, in his hands. I'd like to say what I believe should happen to people like Bill de Blasio, but I would be doing so out of anger and out of poor temperament because I'm ultimately committed to non-violent solutions. But what do you say about that? And what difference would it make anyway if de Blasio left office and somebody else came in, it wouldn't matter. Somebody said on, on, online this morning, it was on one of the, I can still look at Facebook, and I can still look at Twitter, even though I'm banned from participating. I can still see, and you've got people on there talking about beating up people and smacking people. It won't matter. They'll just put in the next guy or the next girl. Vote, we'll, we'll vote them out. It doesn't matter because all of the parties, every one of them, is committed to this tyranny. All of them in America and here. You might say the Republicans are not, but they are. They are. Maybe some Southern governors, maybe. But apart from that, everybody's on board with this tyranny. If you want to participate in society, you'll, you'll be jabbed. Who the fuck does Bill de Blasio think he is to speak to people and tell them that if they want to live, if they want to exist, they must take a dangerous cocktail of pus and shit that is already known to be causing great harm to people. Who is this guy? Well, he's a tyrant. Well, he's a puppet, isn't he? Like all of them, he takes his directions from somebody else who takes directions. He's so far down the trough now that the water where he is is basically just muck and shit. He's a nobody. Like Johnson, like Sadiq Khan, like Nicholas Sturgeon. And I've been, I swear, since Spiro shared this with me and I downloaded it, I have been, I've got all the US wires open. There's no condemnation. Nothing. Yeah, from independent content creators there is. But right across the mainstream media, right across the political spectrum, this is seen as a good idea. Maybe more on this a bit later on. 11 minutes past the hour. More madness, this time courtesy of the Telegraph, which I picked up on and rewrote with my own opinion on it. Reporting this morning that NHS trusts in this country, not just one but several, have been giving guidance to hospitals to tell them that patients should be admitted to a hospital based on whichever gender they identify with. Meaning they can choose whichever ward, whichever toilet and which shower facilities they would like to use. And that means that men who identify as women and who have been convicted of sex offences 
in theory, could end up on female wards. Why do I say that? Well, because three of these NHS trusts, three hospitals, Devon, Oxford and Nottinghamshire, have told their staff that while a criminal history should be part of a risk assessment when placing male-born people on female-only wards, it shouldn't necessarily bar the convicted sex offender the big hairy bollocks who says that he's a woman. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be a deterrent to putting him on a ward with women. This is no joke, this. I know that some people think that, for example, people like my mate Hayden Hewitt, that he bangs on a bit too much about this, but I don't think he does. This is crazy stuff. It gets worse. Some hospitals have accused female patients who've sounded the alarm about this of hate speech. An aid crime. And in some cases, hospitals have reported the women now, the real women, with the vagina and the ovaries. Women who have said, listen, I don't want him in the same ward as me. This guy who calls himself a woman, but he's got an Adam's apple the size of a golf ball. And I can see his bollocks from here. I don't want him on my ward. I don't feel safe with him being here. Rather than deal with the safety issue that has been raised by the woman in question... Well, the NHS trust or the hospital threatens the woman with being reported and in some cases has reported those women for hate speech. You know, shut up about it or we'll report you. I'd love to be joking. I mean, enough is enough, isn't it? Isn't enough enough at this stage? And it's not good enough for people to just talk about this. It's not good enough people to say, for, for people to say, well, this is just crazy. This is seriously impacting on the safety of real women. And enough is enough now. I would say enough is enough. For, for, for my adult life, probably on three occasions, I was introduced to a trans person. And out of courtesy, empathy and sympathy, even if it wasn't warranted my sympathy or even if it wasn't wanted, I felt bad. Yes, I'm happy to use whatever pronouns you want. Not anymore. No chance. Not anymore. A man cannot be a woman. There is no such thing as a trans woman. It is madness. It's tantamount to lunacy. Listen to Dr Nicola Williams of Fair Play to Women. Here she is speaking with Julia Hartley Brewer on talk radio this morning. Well, unfortunately, it's the logical conclusion of gender ideology, isn't it? If the ideology is that any man can say is a woman, that means any man. That means the sex offender, the rapist... Lit, the paedophile, literally. I mean, we're not saying trans women um, are any more at risk Absolutely. of being sex but it does mean that if anyone can do it, everyone it's can about, do it. This is Maybe. not about genuine trans people who are just trying to live their best life. Um, uh, uh, this is not... It, we're not saying they're sex... We're saying that sex offenders will use this ideology and use these loopholes in order to gain access to vulnerable women and girls. But it also shows, again, just like in sport, how women's rights are not really valued. When, when, people are val when people are balancing the rights of a trans person to feel comfortable in a hospital ward, they're not thinking about how that might make a woman feel um, in the hospital ward. Does she not deserve to be comfortable? When my mum goes into a hospital yeah. ward and she sees someone that she perceives as a man in the bed next to her, and if she said to the nurse there's a man in the bed next to me, she would be in trouble. She would be told, no, that is a woman. Don't be transphobic. And that's kind of gaslighting that we're up against. Yeah, she might be reported for, for hate crime or hate speech. Frank Ferradi 
Kent University won't come on with me again because he's a bit of a coward, Frank. He came on with me about uh, two years ago. We had a really good conversation about this. But then he was criticised for deigning. Deigning, by the way, means to stoop, to condescend, to stoop. Deigning to come on with me. So he wouldn't come on with me again, even though he's a big free speech advocate, even though we had a great conversation. Anyway, I don't hold it against him. Not really. Ferreira came on with me and talked about minority cultures being prioritised over the majority and the inherent problems with that. Here we have a group of people, less than 1% trans people. And it must be remembered, I think, maybe I'm wrong, I could be wrong, it must be remembered at all times that the great majority of trans men and trans women who are totally different to transsexuals, as my pal Diane explained on this programme previously, we must get Diane back on again. The great majority of them are in no way in favour of any of this. It must be said. They're not the driving force behind it. This is coming from someplace else. But back to what Frank said. You've got less than 1%. Well, you've probably got less than one-tenth of 1% of people dictating to the majority. It's astonishing. When you think about it in those terms, I'm not saying that just because a group is in the majority that they therefore should be allowed to behave towards the minority however they feel. No, of course I'm not saying that. I refuse to be gaslighted or gaslit. Of course not. You be kind, you be empathetic, you be decent to people. You treat people how you would like to be treated yourself. I've lived my entire life like that. You don't change language. You don't change your own behaviour, change your language to accommodate the patently ridiculous. Not all women menstruate, not that bollocks. You know, let's change the terminology like pregnant women and all that. No, 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 you don't. You don't cooperate with that. It's at that point you draw a line in the sand and say no. No, because it's okay as long as you're minding your own business. Then you can be a woman. But when you think it's okay for you to be on a woman's ward, you're not a woman. At that point, you're not. At that point, we must bring you back to planet reality. You are a man living out a fantasy. And it's dangerous. It's crazy. And it's obviously putting real women in harm's way. Obviously. And I've never claimed to be a champion of women. Never. I hate those guys who call themselves feminists. What bollocks. I'm no feminist. I'm a man. Proper man. A real man. And it vexes me this. It's insane this. That a trust, that a hospital would threaten a woman with a report to the police because she says, look at that thing over there. That isn't a woman. And I don't feel safe. And rather than deal with that, she ends up getting reported to the police. And of course, that'll be on the record forever, won't it? Forever. Mental this. 19 minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Radio Show. CJ Lewis, Sweet For My Sweet. Can't remember who had the original hit with that in the 70s. It'll come to me in a moment. Don't think it matters now. 22 minutes past five. This is your Richie Allen Radio Show. Live from Salford. It's me and you. Lots to talk about between now and the end of the programme. A lot to talk about. This is very important. Twitter has announced that it will be collaborating with Reuters and Associated Press to get rid of fake news. Okay, this is on my website now, richieallen.co.uk. Do check it out. So this is Reuters and the Associated Press, two behemoth news agencies. Between them, they provide copy 
to pretty much all of the world's media. I think I've explained this to you before, that Sky and the BBC and Channel 4 and ITV News, they do not do journalism. Maybe not the most grammatically sound statement there from your BBG. There isn't any real journalism. They take press releases and copy, as I said, from Reuters, Associated Press and one or two other agencies, right? AFP, for example. That's what they do. Right. These news agencies, Reuters and AP, will be providing Twitter with context and background information on any event which is creating a very high volume of tweets. We call it going viral. So if a story is going viral on Twitter, Twitter will defer to Reuters and AP to determine what is really going on and then to censor people accordingly. For example, people who might take a different perspective or who might view those events in a different way. This is where it is now, right? Twitter has said that by collaborating with the two giants of news in inverted commas, it will help them stop the spread of misleading information and remove so-called fake news from its platform. Right? So Twitter has already anointed itself, as Facebook has done, as the arbiters of what is true and what isn't. It's now bringing in the big, big, big news agencies out of the cold. Well, not out of the cold, really, but bringing them on board. This is amazing. I've written about this today. And this isn't groundbreaking stuff now, but it's worth hearing anyway. Effectively, this is the Ministry of Truth as dreamed up by George Orwell. Because Twitter and Facebook have basically taken total control of public discourse. Total control. It's been allowed. Social media, given to the world, remember, back in the day, how did they frame it? They said it's a great gift to the world, a great boon. It's going to make connectivity so, so easier, so, so much simpler. You'll be doing things that were previously unimaginable in real time. You could increase your own visibility. You, you, you could learn more, much easier. Access markets that were previously cut off to you. Uh, disseminate information. You could connect with people, as I said, in real time. But you could do it at any time of the day of night, any time. Twitter, Facebook, right. That was the gift, but it was a Trojan horse. It was a Trojan horse, really, because in reality, as I pointed out in my piece today, we were effectively kettled, and I've said this many times over the years, what a coup! Facebook and Twitter had nothing to do with connecting people around the world and everything to do with administering truth. Remember, in 1984, Orwell's Ministry of Truth was ultimately a misnomer. It was upside-down logic. It didn't speak the truth. It didn't spread any truth. It spread lies and propaganda so that people would be kept in a perpetual state of fear and anxiety and confusion. Well, it's Twitter and Facebook, isn't it? It's what it does today. So Orwell's Ministry introduced Newspeak to the population. You've read the book, so you know what I'm talking about. And in that world, Newspeak is a very simplified language which is designed to reduce complicated issues to a few simple absolutes. Wow. Doesn't Twitter and Facebook reduce complicated 
matters to a few simple absolutes, doesn't it? Doesn't it reduce everything to binary choice? You're either for or against. There are no shades of grey. That's what it has done. And they've got billions of users. Where do you think terms like hate speech came from? Hate crime, white privilege, transphobia. This is newspeak. What does it do? Well, it effectively limits people's ability to think for themselves and to broaden their mind or minds and listen to many different points of view and to take a, I suppose, a more sometimes moderate approach, gather all the information and then make a balanced decision. No, Twitter, Facebook, Newspeak, the administrators of truth have basically destroyed that. Binary choice now. Everything reduced to a few simple absolutes. Every complicated issue. They don't even try and hide it these days. Newspeak. Eh? What about keep your distance? What about hands, face, space? What about don't kill granny? What about protect the NHS? What about it's your duty to be vaccinated? I've written about this today. It's on richieallen.co.uk. Do check it out. Lots more to come between now and the end of the programme, but I'm in one of those moods today. So, it's another tune. This time from Train, this is Mermaids. Choo-choo Train and Mermaid on your Richie Allen Show. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yeah. Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, yes. the picture's not that great. Yes. Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk. Okay, there you go. Ensignfilms.co.uk. That ad has not been paid for. That's a favour for a great friend of mine, and they're very good people. Do check them out. This is your Richie Allen Show back in 30 seconds. Time. Thanks to you, the Richie Allen Show is the most listened to independent radio show in Europe. Show your support for this unique broadcaster by making a regular financial contribution. Just the price of a cup of coffee each month will make a massive difference. Visit richieallen.co.uk for details. And there's been lots of emails come into the programme, which is very good. Thank you for them. Let me read them out. Hi to Gail. Richie, our electricity went off just before four o'clock. It's still off. No one else is off, says Gail. Neighbour is okay on one side and the other one is still at work. It's a conspiracy against us, says Gail. I'm using my phone provider's data to email you. Thanks, Gail. Where there's a will, there is a way. Hi to CC, who says, Richie, gutted my wife is having the poison jib-jab as she's been totally brainwashed by the MSM, even though she's had the so-called coroni. So her antibodies must be brilliant. What do I do, Richie? To me, if she has it, she's part of the walking dead. I am heartbroken. She won't listen to any of the alternative media. She thinks they're all liars. It's her choice. But I can't stand by and watch her potentially destroy her body. I'm lost, says Cece. Cece, put your arm around your wife. Give her a kiss and tell her you love her. And learn to live with it. Learn to live with it. Because your love for your wife and your collective experiences together are far greater than your wife going to have the jib-jab. It's as simple as that. That's, I, listen, you might say it's easy for you, Richie. Your better half is on 
the same page as you. She is. She is, of course. And it's very difficult for her because of her being French. But she is on the same page. She won't have it. You've got to love your wife. Isn't that what it's trying to do, this establishment, this system, this tyranny? is to destroy love, to destroy our relationships with one another. Listen to Antonio last night phoning in from Portugal, CC. Listen to what he said. I love my wife with every, every ounce of my body. And I'll continue to, he said. You've got to live with it. And, and that's what I w- would tell you. If, if I was your best pal and we were sitting in our local boozer having a pint of Timothy Taylor Landlord or a pint of Guinness, a pint of Arthur's Finest, I would say you love your wife. Continue to love your wife and be there for your wife. Be a man. That's what men do. Okay. Christine says, Richie. No, can't do that. We'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. Thanks, Christine. Um, let's... Right. This is from Amy. Richie, for the facilities where trans people do not fit into either categories, such as toilets, perhaps a compromise can be found like the um, disabled toilets. But I heard in previous articles that the trans people are horrified by this idea. They don't want to be boxed in or pigeonholed in their own facilities. I've never heard a female or male disabled person complain that they had been boxed in to places with a label. That's a good point as well. It's a very good point indeed. Hi to Tim, who's listening in Brazil. Reggie, I'm not afraid of artificial intelligence. I'm afraid of human stupidity. <laughs> oh, Tim, in that we are in total agreement. Hi to Geraldo. Cornish, how you doing, Geraldo, who moved to Portugal in the financial crisis of 2008, has a granddaughter born in 2019 while Geraldo was in hospital. I've never seen her, Richie, and I might never see her again unless I get jabbed. I am 69 and I am so sad, says Geraldo. Geraldo, again, please believe me when I say I'm so sorry for you. I don't understand what it is you're going through because I don't have to deal with that. But good God, how dreadful it is. We heard from Joan in Canada yesterday. Yorkshire Joan, who's living in Canada, who's got two children. One of her children, grown-up children, can't wait for Joan to come and help with the young ones. Her other child, son, I believe, her other son, is saying, you must stay away unless you get jabbed. It's dreadful. It's dreadful. Hi to Pandora, who says, those are very powerful words of tyranny coming from de Blasio after his chips for jabs stunt and his winter ice skating with his missus, openly wearing a known paedophile logo face mask. Did he? You'll have to tell me more about that. Pandora, I don't, uh, I don't know anything about that. Genuinely, you'll have to fill me in. Hi to Ron. How you doing, Ron? Richie, two interesting texts from my GP surgery. First, they are updating their records. Before I tell you this, Ron is 80. Get in there, Ron. 80 not out. And his wife, Jean, who's a bit younger, I believe. And Ron turned down the jab at the very beginning, when the jabs first came out. And somebody told him on the telephone, on the telephone device, they said, Ron, you'll be put on the decline list. And Ron said, bugger off, I don't care. Or something to that effect. He says, Richie, two interesting texts from my GP surgery. First, they are updating their records. And could I tell them my current height and weight? Says Ron. Did they, Ron? Second, if I get a new persistent cough or fever, etc., I should have a PCR test, but should only have a lateral flow test if I have no symptoms. If I visit the surgery, 
I am to wear a face mask. Are they living in hope, Richie, that I will soon be on my way? And if they know my weight and height, they would know how much drugs to help me go? Asks Ron. They've got no chance, says Ron. Thanks, Ron. Ron, I don't know. It's mental, Ron. Things are mental. Alan in Liverpool says, Richie, loved the phone-in yesterday. I've been gigging a fair bit. Thank God, Alan. Alan's a bass player. Played a, a punch, Tarmies. Yeah, Tarmies in Southport the other weekend. People danced. 80% had no mask. Only the odd couple of frightened mask people were there. Played an Irish bar on Matthew Street in Liverpool again. Full people dancing. And I saw only four mask holes. I've been told that Liverpool FC are wanting us back to play at home games. I wonder what they'll say when they realise that we will not support the par side. As I will not play any venue as it requires medical ID biosecurity fascistic shit says Alan thank you Alan good man will Liverpool FC be requiring its entertainers you might know you might not know but the great big football clubs they've got lots of bars lots of bars and hospitality for people who have got money to eat and drink before the games fine dining and they often employ people like Alan and his bands to entertain them Alan won't have the jabs so we'll have to wait and see Speaking of the jabs, the World Health Organization has said that plans to mix and match the jabs are a dangerous trend. A growing number of countries are considering switching to different COVID jabs for the second doses or for the booster shots. For the booster shots. Now, the UK has announced is that it plans to give 32 million people a third jab from the second week in September. 32 million people. A third prick. A third jab. Right. And they're talking about giving a different brand of jab than the one you originally got. So you might have had two AstraZeneca jabs. This time you might get a, you might get a Pfizer jab. It's crazy. The World Health Organization is saying this is a dangerous trend because there is not enough data available about the health impact or the safety of it. Right. Now the UK is thinking of doing it. Cambodia is thinking of doing it, giving a different jab to the one you originally got. Denmark as well, Germany, Indonesia and Vietnam said it will give the Pfizer vaccine to people who had previously received AstraZeneca as their first dose. Kind of strange, this the World Health Organization saying this is a bit weird, it's dangerous, it's untried, but in the UK, academics are saying it's all hunky-dory. Here's Paul Hunter, Professor of Medicine at East Anglia University. We've had more recent evidence that if you give the, uh, if you start with the AstraZeneca vaccine, but then give the Pfizer vaccine for the second dose, we know that that gives a much better uh, antibody response than than uh, two AstraZeneca doses. Mm, right? How does he know that? They never produce any figures. We're 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 getting some results back that you might be better off to have a different jab. Right? The World Health Organization are saying mm, not good. Sky News went to a garden centre, which incredibly. Have you ever been to a garden centre? I've never been to a garden centre more than one time. One time. And they are usually populated by people over 70. Usually. Walking around. Oldies love garden centres. They love them. Right. So Sky spoke to some OAPs at a garden centre to get their thoughts on getting a different jab to the one that they originally had. They want the extra protection, but they're not sure about changing brand. I think I'd rather just 
have the same one that I've already had. It's like a drink, isn't it? I normally drink baby sham, so I'll stick with the baby sham. I prefer the same one because it seems that it's quite successful. I think you should stick to what you've had. Stick to what you've had. I mean, I had the AstraZeneca and I would expect to get that again. (laughs) I've had the AstraZeneca. I would expect to get that one again and no others. They've properly fallen for it, haven't they? The government is waiting for the results of trials into which booster jabs work best. And an evolving virus presents a constant threat. But the hope is that a new line of defence will stop cases rising and protect the most vulnerable. My God, the most vulnerable. Jesus. Speaking of... (sighs) Measures. And, And restrictions. Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland's First Minister... Horrible little bastard. Anywho, almost all of Scotland's remaining COVID-19 restrictions will end from next Monday, August 9th. She confirmed this today, that Sturgeon. Social distancing will be dropped in most settings, meaning that there will be more capacity in pubs and restaurants and larger crowds at sports and at concerts. Close contacts of those who test positive for COVID will not have to isolate as long as they're fully jabbed and they test negative. But, tellingly, importantly, the wearing of face coverings in some public spaces will continue, said Sturgeon. This will include secondary schools, where staff will need to maintain a one-metre physical distance for the first six weeks of the autumn term. And twice-weekly testing will be required as well. My God. Here is the little runt, Sturgeon. Training officer, it is the combination of the steady decline in cases the success of vaccination helping to weaken the link between cases and serious illness and of course our understanding of the social health and economic harms that continued restrictions cause all underpinned by our obligation to ensure that any restrictions that remain in place are lawful in other words that they are both necessary and proportionate that forms the basis for our decision today to move beyond level zero fantastic What an absolute... Yeah, so um, masks then. Masks. Now, this is contentious. So even as we make this move, uh, care and caution will still be required, which is why I now want to focus on the protections and guidance that will remain in place after August 9th. Firstly, it will continue to be the law, subject to existing exemptions, that face coverings must be worn in all the same indoor settings as is the case now. Right. Face coverings must continue to be worn in all the same indoor settings as is currently the case. This differs, of course, from England and I think from Wales. And this is hugely problematic for the nightclub industry, as we will hear in a moment. We will keep this under review, but my expectation is... Wait for it. This is very important now. This is proper tyranny. These people should live in fear of the people, but they don't. Review, but my expectation is that face coverings are likely to be mandated in law for some time to come. Mandated in law for some time to come. Second, test and protect will continue to contact trace positive cases. To assist with this, there will be an ongoing requirement for indoor hospitality and similar venues to collect the contact details of customers. Nightclub bosses are devastated. They are effectively fecked now. Screwed. Mike Grieve, the chairman of the Nighttime Industries Association in Scotland, isn't happy, as he tells BBC News 24 this afternoon. This guy is properly pissed off. Really, with the um, 
continued mandating of face masks. And uh, I've got to say, I've got an overwhelming sense of frustration about this. Um, we've uh, been asking the Scottish Government to clarify what was meant when the First Minister said a month ago that all major restrictions, including physical distancing, would be removed on the 9th of August. And even as recently as last Wednesday, we asked senior advisors at Scottish Government if they could clarify this urgently because we're all investing in our premises, getting ready for this 9th of August date. And lo and behold, we're not going to be able to reopen. Face masks make it impossible. For nightclubs. It's insane to tell nightclubs they must enforce a mask mandate inside the clubs. Listen to the dipstick presenting for the BBC. Can you explain why? Because I can understand why physical distancing wouldn't be possible in a nightclub. It's quite hard to dance if everybody's got to stay an X number of distance apart, short of wearing something between you. But face masks, I mean, it clearly is a restriction, but it's not something that's impossible to deal with, is it? Mm, I wish you could see the video. Mike looks like he'd love to give a nice big Glaswegian kiss to the BBC anchor with a W right now. But Mike remains calm and gives it to him straight. Absolutely impossible on a number of counts. Um, have you tried drinking a bottle of beer with a face mask on? I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, how are staff supposed to monitor people taking face masks on and off? It basically means that vertical drinking, I mean, what the Scottish Government said is that they're not maintaining seated drinking as a mandatory um, requirement. Yep. But vertical drinking, which basically means drinking standing up, yes. uh, it's impossible um, with a face mask on. So how can you, how, how do you equate moving around with a face mask on and drinking? Never mind dancing. Um, dancing's a strenuous... What about doing the drinking, sitting down and then going on the dance floor? Well, that, in that case, in, in, in most circumstances, nightclubs would be uh, restricted to less than 20% of their capacity. Right. So it's completely uneconomical. It's totally unviable. And so you don't believe any nightclubs will reopen on the 9th of August? There are some, a very small number of mm. uh, Scottish nightclubs which are geared up for bottle service, table service. Yep. But the vast majority of late-night businesses, not just nightclubs, rely almost entirely on vertical drinking, and that's impossible in this situation. In those circumstances, do they have any future? Because the uh, First Minister said she expects these restrictions on face masks to remain for some time to come. Yeah, this is the thing. They're already broke, many of these owners. Many of these nightclubs are owned by two or three people. They're broke, they're maxed out, they're overdrafted, if I can say that kind of phrase up to the gills. They've earned nothing in the last 18 months. They need to earn now. But they can't. Why do they obey? What does he say? Are you screwed if this mask mandate continues? To come. Absolutely. And, and, and that expression fills me with dread. We've been closed for 18 months with no income, mounting debt, um, disobey. and they, you know, where is this taking us? Disobey. We're investing. I mean, I, you know, as soon as I'm off this call, I'm call, calling to mm. my business premises to ask the the uh, supervisor to stand down the guys that are putting a new floor in my premises. I mean, we're investing huge amounts of money, borrowed money, uh, to get ourselves back up and trading after 18 months of being decimated. He makes a very good point here about face masks in nightclubs, about 
safety, but also about security. We specifically asked, would face masks continue to be mandated after the 9th of August? And no one would tell us. Um, and here we are looking down the, the barrel of a gun. And one other point I'd like to make about this is not only is it impractical from a business perspective, not only does it make us unviable, but there's serious safety concerns about people wearing face masks within nightclub, and particularly in nightclub environments, where um, non-verbal communications, hugely important, our staff um, you know, are trained at great expense to look out for signs of any kind of conflict and, and to manage that conflict, that becomes impossible if you have uh, all your customers wandering about with face masks on in low light circumstances with music on and all the other things. So we, we recognise that nightclubs are a relative to other uh, businesses, relatively high risk, and, and we've always accepted we'd be the last to open. But this is a serious kick in the teeth. It is. But again, I say disobey. If enough of you, we've said this at the very beginning of last year, didn't we? At the very beginning of all of this nonsense, we said that if businesses banded together, if they stuck together shoulder to shoulder, all of them, where were the chambers of commerce of the United Kingdom right across the country? Where were they to tell their their members, listen, listen now, disobey, do what you want. There isn't enough police. You know, and, and if, if you force their hand, and they bring in the army, as they've done in Australia, well, it will demonstrate to the people just what sort of tyranny they're living under. If enough businesses said, no, 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 we're not going to commit financial suicide. I'm not going to wreck the future of my business and my children's future. I'm not going to destroy my employees, most of whom are renting properties. They don't have mortgages. They're up to their tits in debt, I'm not going to ruin their lives either. So we won't be encouraging our patrons to wear masks in sweaty nightclubs. Thank you. And all you needed was enough of them to stand together and say no. But that's what the baddies, as my great pal Jean Anne calls them, the baddies. That's what they've been so good at through the generations. Dividing people. Splitting people up. Making it so that we don't care about one another. We don't give a damn about the people around us. It's how we've been conditioned. Get together, all of you that own these businesses, and say no, no more. We've had enough of it. We're not going to be complicit in our own destruction. No chance. This is George Benson on the Richie Allen Radio Show. The time is seven minutes to the top of the hour. George Benson, give me the night. I used to do radio with a lovely bloke called Sonny T when I was in Marbella. Sonny was uh, from Panama and uh, a black dude, black chef, really funny guy. We did some fantastic radio together. It sounds very immodest, doesn't it? But we did. It was an extraordinary program. We were, in, we were offered serious money to do it in, in... Where were we offered money that time? I think it was to do it in, in Monaco or somewhere like that. They really wanted me and Sonny. What we did was we basically sat down and talked about stuff and every 10 minutes we would play a song. But we were funny and it was very, very funny stuff. It was, it was very good. Anyway, long, why am I telling you about Sonny? I properly pissed him off one afternoon. Properly pissed him off. He says to me one afternoon, it was scorching, scorching hot. He says to me, we've um, got one or two passes lying around. George Benson 
is playing at some garden, some well-known garden in Marbella. Do you want to go, says Sonny? And I said, nah, I'm not up to it really. I properly lost it. <laughs> I thought you were into your music. I thought you knew music. I said I like George Benson, one or two of his hits, but I wouldn't be gone on all of his stuff. Caused ructions for a few minutes. I didn't end up going in the end. Somebody else went with him, but he was a great guy. I don't think he stayed in radio. He, chefing was his thing, but very, very, very funny. I wish some of the programmes, I still had them because they were good. You know, I know it doesn't sound too modest, but no, it was exceptional stuff. I can tell you it was. And it would have been something to do, but it never materialised. We only did it for a few months. And it had the Costa del Sol and the Costa Blanca talking incessantly about it. These guys, this uh, black dude and this snow white Irish dude are funny guys. Yeah, I'd love to dig out some of these old shows and just for the crack, you know, play them on a loop sometime. It is coming up. It is rapidly approaching. Two minutes to six o'clock this in the year of our Lord. 2021. It is Tuesday's Richie Allen radio show, August the 3rd. I've had several emails and a message from a friend. There is a lot of anger about today. For some reason, today has triggered a lot of people. It could be the Bill de Blasio stuff. It could be what's going on in Ireland. It's dreadful. The booster jabs. Today, you're angry. You're pissed right off. Look, find this on... Line, you'll find it very easily and download it to your device. And when you're really pissed off, play it and sing along with it and dispel all of that anger. Get it out of your system. Yodel yourself, yodel the bejesus out of yourself, and you'll feel a bit better afterwards, right? That's my advice. You'll find it easily. It is the theme tune to Raising Arizona. I've told you that already. I use it on the show when we are listening to monumental bollocks, which is most of the time, even from yours truly. You don't play it for yourself, do you, Baldy? No, I don't. Maybe I should sometimes. My friend Patricia in Zurich, great friend, says, Richie, no evidence that universal masking prevents... COVID-19. You're right, Patricia. She says a 2020 memo, guidance memo by the World Health Organization pointed out that, and I quote, she says, at present there is no direct evidence from studies on COVID-19 and in healthy people in the community on the effectiveness of universal masking of healthy people in the community to prevent infection with respiratory viruses, including COVID-19. Well said, Patricia. From the horse's mouth. Of course, masks are useless. Hi to John in Austin. How you doing, John? He says, Richie, Bruce and Wallace must be turning in their graves. Yes. Robert the Bruce, William Wallace, listening to that absolute haggis, that demented little haggis. Serapus, Nicholas Sturgeon, with her little shock of ginger hair, all three foot two inches tall of her, belongs on the end of a pencil, telling people what they can and can't do, where they can and can't go. How have we been reduced to this? Men and women like you and me, intelligent people, how have we been reduced to dealing with these people? Yeah. Amy came back on to say, I wonder how many young adults will fall ill, if not dead, in nightclubs when they are dancing with their face masks, between the heat, the physical efforts of dancing, and the occasional drugs. 
including alcohol, of course. Lack of normal oxygen would surely pose a very big health risk inside a nightclub. That's an excellent point, Amy. Excellent point. As well as the point the guy made about the security aspect. I remember working behind bars. Like we all did. Every Irish person in the world worked behind a bar at least once. Rite of passage. You don't get to call yourself Irish. You don't get your passport handed to you at the passport office in Cork. You don't get it unless you work behind a bar at least once and threw somebody out. Yeah, you do look at people and through their facial expressions, you know if somebody's going to kick off. Absolutely bang on that guy earlier on. Absolutely bang on Amy. Ewan says, Richie, I have been reading 1984 this last couple of weeks and this line is my favourite. Quote, But the proles, if only they could somehow become conscious of their own strength, would have no need to conspire. They needed only to rise up and shake themselves like a horse shaking off flies. If they choose, they could blow the party to pieces in the morning. Excellent Ewan. What a passage. How true it is. But we've been divided along these pathetic lines of sexual orientation, of religion. We've pigeonholed ourselves or allowed ourselves to be pigeonholed into a billion squillion boxes. As a socialist, I say. As a conservative, I say. As a woman, I believe. Every one of us, if my old pal on the Isle of Wight is right, and I believe he might very well be. It's pure consciousness, pure energy. All that is, that was and never will be. Perfection. Nothing divides us. I believe he's right when he says that the things we think we are are constructs, they are programs. You're not a black dude, I'm not white. It is a program, an expression of the matrix or whatever the program is. Beneath all of that, you are perfect, individual creations of energy and light. And I do believe that. And I've not just swallowed a, 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 the, the esoteric library of Abyssinia or something along those lines. I do honest to God believe that. That's what we are. But no, no, we divide ourselves along stupid lines. Don't we? We're pathetic. Let's move on. All of us, me included, I fell for it too. Believe me. And what about this Judge Jules and Paul Van Dyke? God be with the days, dear listener. God be with the days. Now, I never went to see Judge Jules or Paul Van Dyke. I was never into the DJs. I did go to Sir Henry's one time in Cork and, well, that was a blur. Don't remember too much about that. Anywho, I wrote about this on richieallen.co.uk. People queued from six o'clock this morning in West Belfast to get a COVID jab. Why? Because they were told that the first 500 of them would be given free tickets to a festival. This is depressing stuff. It really is. Why are you telling us then, you big baldy bastard? I am, I'm just telling you. I'm twice as baldy today, you know. Every seven or eight days I get the straight razor, completely shave my head. So right now as I speak to you, I resemble the cover of the video to The Hills Have Eyes. Google it. That's me, right there. Less attractive. I'm less attractive than the guy on the front of the Hills of Eyes. Less attractive, that's me. I shaved my head. Bit of an albino. 500 people who got the jab, who queued up to get the jab, were given complimentary tickets to Fela Music Night. Fela Kjol. Iha Fela Kjol. That's a Fela Music Night. 
That takes place this coming Sunday night. As I said, Paul Van Dyke is there. Judge Jules is there. And the guy who's running it, Kevin Gamble, he said, Fela on Fubble over the last 34 years has shown leadership particularly in West and North Belfast, if we can help support the health trusts in driving up the vaccinations, this is us playing a very small part in that process. And the Belfast Online, or Belfast Live Online, quotes a woman called Joanne Coogan from the Belfast Trust. Joanne Coogan. She said there was a good atmosphere from six o'clock as the youngsters were jabbed. From what I hear, she said, these tickets are like a gold dust. We've been working very hard the past couple of months to try and encourage the young people to have the jab. When Fela approached us and asked us to do a joint piece of work, we were delighted. We had two girls here from six. They're delighted to be here and excited to get their vaccine and their concert tickets. Get a jab, go to the concert. Get a jab, go to the gig. They were ecstatic. And this Joanne Coogan woman went on to say... We want to be sure to get back to normality as soon as possible. Not only to protect ourselves, but to protect our loved ones and everyone around us. My word of encouragement would be to get the vaccine. Hashtag jab done. Hashtag jab done, she said. Mother of divine Jesus Christ. Speaking to Mike Graham on talk radio this morning, fellow presenter Nick Dubois. Nick Dubois. Is it Nick Dubois or Nick Dubois? B-O-I-S. I've never heard of him. Nick Dubois, he's a fellow presenter, and here he is speaking about the compliance and where the compliance is going and the youngsters. Do you know that in a poll published just before um, uh, July the 19th, two out of ten people, okay, it's not a lot, but wait until I tell you what they wanted. I I know what you're going to (laughs) say. Actually wanted a permanent curfew after 10 o'clock. I mean, what has happened to the country I love that people are thinking like this now. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But this is what I mean, you know, because the conditioning that people have now gone through over the course of time, and I fear that it's not so much people like you and I, Nick, who uh, may not go to nightclubs very much, but certainly don't want a bleeding curfew on when we're supposed to get home. Um, I know it's younger people who I think have sort of become almost immune to what's happened to them. And they've not realised that yeah. all of these, uh, you know, liberties have been taken away and they don't mind it somehow because that's what they make. It makes them feel safe somehow. I just I find it incredible. It, it is the feeling safe, which um, frankly uh, has lost all proportionality. Uh, and, and the statistics are overwhelming, you know, particularly when you've been with successful as we have with the vaccine. The statistics on death, on, you know, even serious conditions Mm. are so low that we have now frightened a generation. My whole argument has been in the early days, none of us really knew what was happening. You know, for my sins, I supported all the early measures. I supported the lockdown. We were dealing with the unknown. Mm. The January to July lockdown, as I call it, I think was a huge mistake. And we now have a generation of people being brought up that frankly welcome the huge intrusion of the nanny state of state control in the micro details of their life. So much so, they won't even get on a train unless the government tells them to. They won't go into a city unless Mm. the government tells them to. Uh, As I say, what has happened to the freedom-loving country I love? What has happened to the youngsters? I don't know. Hey, by the way, CC got back on to me. Thanks, CC. He said, I'm taking your advice. Richie, uh, Cece, you would have taken it anyway. You love your wife, mate. You know you love your wife. While you're upset she's had the thing, it it could never come between you. 
And on that, Gary got in touch. Richie, please, please, please tell my Mrs. Queen Natasha. I love her more than anything in this world. I've been down this COVID rabbit hole and I'm a little consumed or overwhelmed by all this bullshit. I've kind of neglected the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm honestly the luckiest guy on this planet and I know it. Love to my queen. Well done, Gaz. Well done, Gary. That's exactly right. You know, that's exactly right. Don't allow them drive you apart, you know. Don't allow them do that. Preserve the most important thing to you. Your family, your wife, your husband, your children and your friends and your immediate neighbours. Don't allow this come between you. Don't. Carol, thanks so much for the link to the article in the New York Times. I'll grab a look at that in a moment. Thanks so much for your email. Thank you. Davey got in touch. How you doing, Davey? Richie, hope you're well. So the old Jabatori is getting a new challenge, pick and mix, bit like Woolworths. To be honest, surely, never mind the first, second jabs being dangerous. This is crazy. Are they trying to kill mankind? Asks Davey. Davey, I don't know, but you well know that we've had many learned men and women on this programme who are open to the possibility that they want to kill a lot of people. What do you think, Richie? Sure, look, I I rule nothing out, do I? You know? Thanks for your email, Davy. Thank you so much for listening this afternoon, pal. Hi to Keith. Keith says, Richie, warning as people... A knock on doors asking, have you been vaccinated? Thanks uh, for that, Keith. That's in the Liverpool Echo website. Thank you. Yes, they were to be called the persuaders. We talked about this some weeks ago. Some local authorities said that they would be employing persuaders. Egypts would go around knocking on your door. I go on, have the jab. No, I go on, have the jab. No, we'll give you a, we'll give you a voucher for 10% off your local pub. No, I go on, have the jab. Persuaders. Then it was reported that the persuaders would also be accompanied by a vaccinator. Why are they so desperate for people to have a jab they don't need? Why indeed? Why indeed? Do you fancy a hot chocolate this tea time? Oh yeah. It's the BBG with you until God knows when, because I don't know when this is going to end. I've got some more news and analysis coming your way on Europe's most listened to independent radio show, The Richie Allen Show. Thanks for staying with me through the madness. And uh, email me through the website. Yeah, Christine was in touch to say about the youngsters or young people getting the tickets for the for the vaccine. I wonder how much they were paid to do that, says Christine. I'm embarrassed to live in the North. It's a very sad state of affairs. But Christine, don't be, because it's the same everywhere. I don't think any place is any better than anywhere else. I really don't. Hi to Neil. How you doing, Neil? He says, Richie, long-time listener and supporter. We lost our Charlie, he says, our, our, our canine companion, our fur baby, last Friday. Could you give my wife, Nadine, a hello? She's devastated. Well, we all are, says Neil. Nadine, I'm unbelievably sorry to hear that. I really am. As somebody who's grown up with dogs, and pretty much all of the time I spent with, with, uh, with my missus, from Spain till now, We've had furry friends in our lives and we've lost a couple of them. It's horrendous. And people who don't love dogs, they don't understand it. But uh, you have my sympathy, Nadine. It gets easier. That's all I can tell you. 
gets a bit easier as the days and weeks go on. You'll never forget your canine chum. And then you've got to get back on the horse again, although I don't have any right to tell you that. But you, we do, and you, you just go on again. We've got a 18-month-old lunatic golden retriever now called Leia, who is a nightmare at the best of times. But we love the bones of her. We love the bones of her. 17 minutes it is past the hour. More of your messages in a few minutes. But I want to move on to talk about this, because I found it just a bit mad, really. Geneticists. Now, you could never say that if you were pissed right up. Geneticists on the other side of the world are breeding less flatulent sheep because methane is exacerbating global warming and causing polar bears to drown somewhere in the Arctic. I don't know, maybe. In the Antarctic, I don't know. Methane is exacerbating the problem. So flatulent sheep are being bred out. Farming must be stopped or scaled back. So say some proper nutters. And as you know, because we've talked about it this week, attacks on meat to help save the earth has been proposed. Or last week we talked about that. So yeah, they've proposed taxing meat to help save the planet. However, it's possible to breed less flatulent sheep. Wow. A sheep farmer called into LBC Radio and spoke with James O'Brien about, well, sheep that don't fart so much. I think there's another way around the problem. I'm a sheep farmer and I breed sheep. Uh, I breed rams that then sire the lamb chops that you buy at a weekend. Sire the lamb chops, really? Hopefully eat. So we're in the process of importing sheep at the moment from New Zealand. We've got eight rams that are in quarantine there. And they've all been tested for methane and CO2 emissions. (laughs) And over there, this has been going on for two or three years. And there's a big variety. Well, so they're they're breeding specifically trying to breed more environmentally friendly sheep? Yeah. I did. I had no idea, Robin. That's a, a reason number five billion and two why I love my job. That's absolutely fascinating. And that would be a, by a form of genetic... I mean, yeah, so it's really just a question of selection. Yes. So the, one of the guys who we... You know, he will have tested uh, 200 sheep put, and they put them in a box and they can measure the amount of methane that they give out and the amount of CO2 that they give out. While so they get 200 sheep, they stock them in a box... And they watched them, and they basically counted the the, the farting or, or measured the farting of the 200 sheep and determined which of them were less windy than the others. That doesn't sound like genetics. That sounds like madness, really, to me. But while they're in the box over a set period. Over a set period. Wow, and there's never. a big variety in the amount. So, and then you, so bre- you have all sorts of different sheep, 200 different breed breeds of sheep. And you watch them for a while. And when one farts, you make a note of it. Right, right. Yes, and he farted two minutes ago. Yes, right. That one over there, what's that? An alpaca, is it? No, no, it's a West Highland, is it? Hasn't farted at all, right? That's as scientific as it gets. And then you breed off the ones that come top. Breed off the ones that come top. Breed off the ones that come top. So, 
laptop, so there's a variety. That is the most interesting thing I've heard all week. I had, I don't, I'm super sorry. I know you've, you've got more important points to make, and I'm sounding like a giddy schoolboy. But that's... I'm sounding like a giddy schoolboy. If O'Brien had any brains, he'd wonder if it was April 1st and if he was being pranked, but of course he doesn't have any brains. That's absolutely riveting. Riveting! I, 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 I'm going to read more about that after the show. Tell, anyway, of course on. you sorry, are. Robin. You lying bastard. Yes, I'll be reading more about it after the show. Jesus wept, huh? Jesus, Mary and Holy St. Joseph. Tell us more. So basically what the guy's telling us, uh, you know, the people over in New Zealand are telling us... It what is. they're telling us from New Zealand is they're sitting around watching sheep in boxes, five or six different breeds, varieties of sheep, and they're evaluating which of them are less likely to fart. And then they take the ones that don't fart as much and they mate them. And that is going to save the planet... You CO2 producing bastards. There's on average there's an eleven percent difference in the methane produced by sheep. But it could be as big as twenty five percent between <laughs> the very best and the very worst. Now if you keep using the best over many generations, you will end up with sheep that have give less methane. You and will the reason they're giving less methane is it's the structure of their sort of rumen. Their rumen. Now I wasn't very good at biology, so I don't know what that is. The structure of their rumen. Is that their arse, maybe? Is rumen Latin for arse, for sheep's arse? And the structure of the arse determines how much methane is produced by the sheep, is it? And um, there's also clever scientists who've been measuring this thing. And so there is definitely lots, lots of different ways of improving things. And you address people who are quite comfortable ethically eating meat, but who are increasingly uncomfortable about the environmental impact rather than I hesitate <laughs> to use the word I've said ethical moral it doesn't address that people who just don't think and has I've, anybody in history ever was, was has anybody been more wedded to the sound of their own voice than James O'Brien at LBC what a no don't swear he's out he's out Alan Partridging Partridge and Richard Madeley he's going for the for the blue ribbon is O'Brien. I had to laugh. They came in with this geneticist. And it's not even geneticists. It's people just sitting around watching sheep farting. What a job that is. Wow. Yeah, wonderful. Amazingly enough, it's time for another tune. Here's the tune for you. It's a novelty song, which was a number one hit for Brendan Grace in Ireland in 1975. God be with Brendan Grace. He died two years ago in Galway, did Brendan, a great comedian, great talent, great actor, lovely guy. He had a number one with this in 1975 in Ireland. And then the Wurzels had a number one with it in 1976 in England. The song was written by Brendan O'Shaughnessy. Brendan O'Shaughnessy or Brendan O'Shaughnessy? O'Shaughnessy, I would say. And this song is a parody of a Brand New Key. Remember that? I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. Remember that? Melanie Safka, remember? Well, Brendan Grace and Brendan O'Shaughnessy came up with a parody of Brand New Pair of Roller Skates and wrote this song, which the Wurzels, you're going to hear the Wurzels version, a number one in 1976. I was reminded of it by that cheap story. It's um, the Combine Harvester song. I know, I know. There's a lot of anger around. The Wurzels and... The Combine Harvester song.
Brand new key. Give me the key. Give you the key. Yeah, that's the one. Donal O'Hagan, how you doing, Donal? Richie, two things, if you'd be so kind. He says, why is it, do you think, that the Irish in the free state are so willing and anxious to visit the Jabatoir? And secondly, could you give the big brother Patrick a shout out as he is preparing to escape the madness with some work in Lima in Peru? And then he says, all the best and up the Dacia. Not, says Dolan. Dolan O'Hagan, not Donal O'Hagan. Dolan O'Hagan. Dolan, up the Dacia, yes, the Dacia, Waterford, will play Limerick, I do believe, this weekend in the Old Ireland semi-final. I'll have to find somewhere to watch that in the hurling. Patrick, all the very best in Lima, in Peru. I did make it to Costa Rica in Central America one time. Didn't make it down to South America, but I'm sure you'll have a fantastic time there. I'm sure you will. Why are the Irish in the Free State so willing and anxious to go to the Jabatoir? I don't know, Dolan. I don't know. Years of conditioning, maybe. Touched on it earlier. Years of conditioning. Years and years of propaganda and programming. And ultimately, it doesn't matter where you come. I hear, I hear what you're saying. I, won- I know why you are wondering. An occupied people, the Irish, occupied for centuries the Vikings, the Normans, the British Empire, and somehow managed to mostly unshackle ourselves from that, from imperialism. Why it should be in our DNA is what you think, maybe, to reject this tyranny. I'd love to know the answer. But there are Irish in Ireland who are standing up to it. You're standing up to it. And many others. I don't know. I'd love to know. I can just give a glib, not glib, but general answer, the general answer is no different, no less impervious to the programming than anybody else is what I would say. My oft-mentioned pal, Jean-Anne Crowley, uh, asks the question to me right now on Messenger, until the EU defeated us, question mark, is that it? Yes, probably, possibly. I think Ireland's membership of the European Union has had a lot to do with it. Definitely. It's a good point. Jean-Anne also said she never worked in... Well, she worked in a bar one time and she hated it. How could you hate it? There's no more noble occupation than furnishing somebody with a drink. She hated it, says Jean-Anne. But she did it, though. And again, she's a proper diva. El Divo Tremendo is Jean-Anne. This is a woman who has trodden the boards with the finest thespians in the world has stood in front of the camera, hit her mark with some of the finest thespians in the world. She's a diva. She's not really. She must have had some time of it in a bar, a gorgeous Irish woman in a bar in London in the 70s must have had every line ever uttered in a bar by a bloke with a pint in his hand, no doubt. And maybe a female or two as well. It's half six. I've no idea how long I'm going to be with you. I'm running out of material right now. But before I do any more, let me remind thee, uh, tomorrow I've got two wonderful guests. Speaking of Gerald Salente, who is right now walking up Fifth Avenue with a baseball bat in his hand, arms, hands, looking for Bill de Blasio, all the way from Kingston. Uh, Gerald will be on the programme tomorrow. Before him, wonderful show tomorrow, Spiro Skouras will be with me. Two great guests. I do have a guest or two on Thursday, not quite sure yet. And then I am away 
for a couple of weeks until August 23rd. You're really going to miss me, aren't you? I don't think you are. I think you need a break from this programme, is what you need. We all need a break, don't we? How you doing, Scottish Rob? Scottish Rob says, Richie, do you not think that we bastard Sturgeon should sort the real pandemic, which is the massive drug death problem that's on her watch? I'm raging, mate. No more laughs now, he says. Then he says he loves the show, Scottish Rob. That's right, I did notice that today, that report that uh, about drug deaths in Scotland and the, the, the blame for it being laid at the feet of Sturgeon, who has overseen it, of course. I did see that, pal. I did indeed. Tragic that, no doubt about that. I am not on the side of Peter Hitchens. I think Peter Hitchens is an arsehole at the best of times, even though I would find myself agreeing with him on certain issues around COVID and stuff. Hitchens looks down his nose at addiction, doesn't he? And doesn't believe that addiction is a thing. Basically says that people are not addicts, they're just weak-minded and lazy. Of course, he's an arsehole. It's scientifically proven addiction is a thing. We know it's a thing. And I have great sympathy with people who are addicted to alcohol and to drugs. I've not had the problem myself, but we've all had it in our extended families, all of us. So, uh, yes, mate, it's a dreadful thing. Now, to the next item on the agenda today. Let's hear it. Let's have it. Do you like the Combine Harvester song you did, The Wurzels? cup of tea and a slice of cake. Jack Grealish's girlfriend, and he's a footballer who plays for Aston Villa for the time being, although it is being reported that Manchester City are there or thereabouts in their attempts to sign him. Apparently it might cost them £120-130 million. Pounds. Wow. Grealish played for England, although not too much, in the Euros. He's got a girlfriend, she's a model, her name is Sasha Atwood. She says that during the championships, she was subjected to as many as 200 death threats a day on social media. Some people tweeted her and left her messages on Instagram to say, I hope you get cancer and die. And I hope you die in a car crash. And she said that most of them seemingly were posted by young women. Young women. I still get them now, she said, every day. She was speaking on YouTube and of course the media picked it up and she was invited on all of the programmes today to talk about it. She said things have blown up over the Euros but I never thought in a million years it would ever be this bad. It blows my mind how nasty people can be. And then she said importantly something must be done. Here's Sky News reporter Jemima Walker. You might think Richie why are you getting involved in this magazine celebrity bull spit I am because it's important, because of where it's going. Sky News reporter Jemima Walker. Ah, here we go. Sky News reporter Jemima Walker. You better be there this time. The age of some of the people, girls who were sending these messages, 13, 14 years old, and some of the content of those messages are extremely graphic. Sasha says that she was receiving up to 200 a day and she's still receiving death threats now. The peak was during the Euros. The messages she was receiving were on Instagram and TikTok. Instagram say that they have launched an investigation into the abuse and TikTok say that they have received the posts, uh, they have removed the posts. 
Social media companies do have tools in place to try and stop this kind of thing, but the reality is sometimes it just doesn't work. As we saw after the Euros and the horrific racist, racist abuse that some of the England players faced, the government is also trying to legislate to stop this, stop this type of thing happening. They have a draft online safety bill which proposes fining online, online companies who don't do enough to stop people suffering from this kind of abuse. There's also recently a government commissioned review which proposes making online harassment a criminal offence. But the reality is these are huge multinational companies with tens of millions of often anonymous users. So it is incredibly difficult to police. But cases like this, the story that we heard from Sasha does put more pressure on government and on these companies to do more to stop online abuse. Right. Problem, reaction, solution. We'll come back to that momentarily. Joe Hemmings is a psychologist and has some insight here. Why are the little girls being so mean on social media? It's so difficult because there are as many theories about why people behave this way as there probably are psychologists. Um, look, it isn't anything to do with the fact she's done anything wrong or Jack Greedish has done anything wrong. It's a lot to do with frustration, resentment, hopelessness, anger. It's venting about other things in their lives. that they're, they're young kids, these young girls yeah. who haven't fully matured emotionally are uh, just feeling very frustrated with their lives and just wanting to take it out on somebody. And they can do it anonymously. Uh, those social media um, platforms that claim that they can't remove these or can't do something about it. I get very fed up with this, you know, on the excuse of we have to have free speech. Well, this is not free speech because this is really attacking and hurting somebody else. And I don't think these girls think about what they're saying. It is coming from yes. within them and their own frustration and they are taking it out resentfully on someone who looks like they have it all and they don't have it. Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing. I mean, I've been a teenage girl. I've got a teenage daughter. I, I don't remember ever having those feelings about even someone I'd met to have that level of hatred or something. You know, you'd be upset about, a, you know, mates having a fallout or, or a boyfriend breakup or something going wrong at school or a row with your parents or something. But to have that level of anger, to wish someone dead, isn't this one of the worries, I suppose, you say, social media, it's somehow distance. You, you, you wouldn't say that to yes. someone's face. You certainly wouldn't say it to a random stranger. Um, and yet somehow people feel that they're, they're empowered to say this stuff and they have this ability to do this. Mm. This is Problem Reaction Solution. If you believe for a minute that the digi digital media and culture department of the UK government, if you believe for a minute that it really gives the damn about young girls or young boys, either swearing at celebrities or saying racist things about them. If you believe for a minute that any government in the world cares about that, well, then you're a little bit behind. They don't care. They don't give a damn. This is problem, reaction, solution in glorious Technicolor. You'll see more and more and more of this now in the coming weeks and months. What they want to do, ultimately, is to prevent any discourse, any discussion of what is coming next in this totalitarian playbook. Right now you've got Bill de Blasio in New York mandating vaccines. You've got Boris Johnson doing it here in this country. You've got 32 million people being told you need to take a booster jab. All of this is tyranny. But it's going to get worse 
this is the beginning. This is the, how do you say it? I should know I live with a French woman. This is the hors d'oeuvre, right? This is the appetizer. So they want to take total control of, of the, the sphere of public discourse before they move to the next stage. And they want to label people's everyday speech as dangerous and as oppressive. We're back to the article I wrote today on richieallen.co.uk about how, how Twitter and how Facebook have basically introduced Newspeak into, into the public domain since the genesis of Facebook and Twitter, right, is, is what they're doing. And this is the way, this is one of the ways they're doing it. They're administering truth by using nonsense like this and nonsense like children in their bedrooms criticising footballers of colour after football matches. They're taking these examples and using them to say there's a huge problem, there's been a reaction, the reaction is from obviously from Twitter users, so we need to do something about it. They don't care about people fighting with one another on Twitter. They don't give a damn about me calling you a name or you calling me a name. This is about where they want to take these platforms. They want to sanitise them, homogenise them in a way that people won't even dare go on there and express their opinion about the totalitarianism that we're bearing witness to right now. Ultimately, where they want to take this is to a place where they do not need to censor anybody, where we will censor ourselves. Of course, that bleeds into social crediting and all the rest of it. Nobody gives a damn. There isn't a government in the world. There isn't a social media company on planet Earth that gives a damn that teenage girls are swearing at a model who's going out with a footballer and wishing her death or wishing cancer on her. They couldn't care less. They never did. They don't now. This is problem, reaction, solution. For some of you, this is basic stuff. But for people who are new to programmes like this, it isn't basic. It'll be new for you. Always look to, always look beyond them. They're looking you in the eye and they're telling you, got to deal with this. We've got to stop it. We can't have this hate speech, which is again, new speak, hate speech. It's new speak. It's an oxymoron, really. You could argue. Maybe you couldn't. Don't look at them. Look beyond them. Look behind them. That's what they're trying to hide. And where they plan on taking this is beyond tyranny, I think. And they're preparing for it now. Getting to a place where nobody will be able to say anything about anything at any time. It's crazy. Yeah, that's what I believe. And I've been around the block a few times. So I have. Speaking of um, Bill de Blasio, my uh, good mate Spiro Skouras has been in touch again. And he sent me a link to a clip from a woman called Dr. Liana Wen. Now, those of you who've ever looked into Planned Parenthood, which is a terrible organisation. I'm not going to get into it now, right? Eugenics, um, murdering children. Uh, she's an emergency doctor who's very much involved with Planned Parenthood, Liana Wen. And she's been reacting speaking to, who has she been speaking to? Let me tell you now. She's been speaking to Democracy Now! Amy Goodman and all of that about the mask, sorry, the vaccine mandate 
Bill de Blasio in New York. Listen, it's been a while. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Jesus, I'll do it properly. I'll act like a professional. I'll do it properly. Uh, this is de Blasio, the mayor of New York, speaking in New York City this morning. The mayor of New York. So today I announce a new approach, which we're calling the Key to NYC Pass. The Key to New York City. When you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things that are available in this city. This is a miraculous place, literally full of wonders. And if you're vaccinated, all that's going to open up to you. You'll have the key. You can open the door. But if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. Wow, right. And then? Now, I'll tell you, we know those conversations with the business community are crucial. We've had a lot of them already. What we're hearing from so many folks in the business community is they understand it's time, but they need government to lead. That's going to help them to do what they need to do. Not everyone's going to agree with this. I understand that. But for so many people, this is going to be the life-saving act that we're putting a mandate in place that's going to guarantee a much higher level of vaccination in this city. And that is the key to protecting people and the key to our recovery. That's why it's the key to NYC. The key to NYC pass opens a lot of doors and we need it. We'll be issuing a mayoral executive order and a health commissioner's order. Those are the legal tools necessary to implement this approach. And we know that this is what's going to turn the tide. And we also know that people are going to get a really clear message. If you want to participate in our society fully, you got to get vaccinated. Wow. If you want to participate fully in society, got to get vaccinated. Shockwaves this, even though we've known for a long time this is where it's heading. But of all of the public figures to discuss this in public, nobody has been as blunt as de Blasio. Um, he's, he sounds triumphalist, doesn't he? Doesn't he sound a bit triumphalist? Well, here's Dr. Liana Wen speaking to Democracy Now! about the vaccine mandates. I can't bear Democracy Now! I've never liked it, even when people thought it was good. I knew it was man, uh, uh, mainstream light, but anyway. So we really need to do something different. In the past, we know that vaccine mandates are effective, and I think we really need to be reframing how we think about them. We should be thinking about this as we do drunk driving. You have a right if you want to be intoxicated in your home or in some other setting at a bar, let's say. But you do not have the right to be intoxicated and then get behind the wheel of a car in a way that you could potentially endanger other people. And so I think that the vaccine mandate concept is going to be increasingly important because, for example, I have two unvaccinated young kids. I don't know that someone has the freedom, so to speak, to transmit COVID-19 to my unvaccinated Mm -hmm. kids or to somebody with immunocompromised or cancer and, and is on chemotherapy. She's a bit of a nutter, isn't she? Dr. Liana Wen, another witch doctor, speaking a short time ago to Democracy Now! Thanks to Spiro for the heads up there. Yeah, it's, it's speeding up now, all right. There's no doubt about that. Richard Kelly says, I'm so busy preparing for this winter. I have no idea what's new on the tyranny Ireland scene, but I got it ages ago, so I feel it's time for us all in Ireland and the UK to get ready, he says. No doubt. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Hmm. Yeah. 
the Blasio way. I'm still kind of, the head's a little bit spinning, you know. It, it isn't naivety, of course not. Knew this was coming. But to hear him be so triumphalist about it, almost sneering at people, sneering at people, you know. I'll tell you when you'll have a life. You won't have a life until you submit to my tyranny, until you rock up to a vaccination centre and accept the jab. Will it ever come to? You and I have been speaking, maybe for a little while. Some of the listeners to this programme have known me since I broadcast in Spain. So it's a long time ago now. I have, I've never had any time for fear porn, for shouting down the microphone and telling people hellfire and brimstone, we're all doomed, and all that crap that others took to doing like, like a duck to water, that others loved, the truthers. I've never done it. I've never done that. There's no but either. I'm not going to say but. I'm not. It is incredibly sinister what's, what's going on and where it's going. And I wonder, the reason I said about the fear part and the fact I don't do it, I wonder, is there a plan? Not for maybe 2022, maybe not 2023, but do you think there might be a plan to deal with those of us who have still, at that stage, refused to accept the tyranny? Could it be possible? Could it happen in the future that you get a knock on the door and there is a health visitor there with a constable and you are directed to accompany them to a centre of sorts or to a surgery and to accept the jab? Could that be possible? Might it be possible? Now I know in the COVID Act of 2020 the UK Parliamentary COVID Act, I know there is a provision in there to remove people from their homes, but not to be jabbed. There is a provision in there to remove people from their homes if a public health official believes it's in the best interests of the community because they might be carrying COVID and they might not be isolating, they might not be doing what they're supposed to do. There is a provision, but it doesn't follow in the provision that the local authority has a right to take you to be jabbed. But is it possible, do you think? You'd have to say, maybe, in a couple of years' time, some government might try and get it through Parliament. Maybe. I hope I'm wrong, but maybe. When they're openly talking about denying people the rights to socialise, as they are here in the UK, unless you can prove you've been double-jabbed, when you hear de Blasio openly sneering at the people of his city, you have to wonder, why not take it to the logical conclusion that so many people will ignore de Blasio? They will, and stick their fingers up at him, call him a tyrant, tell him to, well, not to put too fine a point on it, to fuck off. At what point will they say, well, no, you, you don't get to tell us to feck off. You don't. We're coming for you. I don't know. If I was another presenter now, I'd be telling you that's going to happen. Selling that fear, but I don't do that. But it's, we've got to discuss it. I think we've got to admit that it is a possibility, if not a likelihood in the short term. I do not know. I do not know. Kerry emailed me to say, Richie, regarding the Irish, I think they find it harder to resist the propaganda 
because there is still such a good sense of community and therefore more peer pressure. A friend of mine says Kerry, who is a hairdresser who was anti-vaccine before the craziness, has had so much pressure from her clients, from her partner and from her friends that she gave in to the jab in spite of being aware of the dangers. She's not happy, Richie. She's angry, but she is no longer suffering the pressure. Thank you, Kerry. And I'm guessing that there are many people like that. Didn't Antonio tell us last night from Portugal on the phone in that his own wife, the nurse, had no intention of taking the jab? None. And it wasn't the state or the employers, he told us. I've got to put some WD-40 on that chair, don't I? I only put some on it last week. It's not great. I must do it again. He told us, Antonio, that the pressure didn't come from above, above. The pressure came from colleagues, peers. Came from our peers. Go on, have the jab. Go on. Go on. We're having it, so you should have it too. We'll all be happy then, and then we won't have to hear any more about it. Just have the jab. And I think Kerry has, has hit upon something there, I think. A lot of people don't want to have it, but they'll have it. You know? These are times, these are interesting times, aren't they? These are interesting times, challenging times for us, but we have each other, dear listener. We always have each other. When all else fails, we know between five o'clock and seven o'clock, UK time, you and I can have a natter about it. And somehow, it makes it not so bad. Speaking of dreadful grammar, it makes it so that it doesn't feel as bad when we can have a natter about it, you and I. We always have that anyway. As long as I can come on the show and do and do the show and chat with you, I'll do it. I'll do it because I like doing it. It's hard bloody work doing it, but I'll come on with you every day at five and Sunday morning melodies. Of course I'll do it. Listen, I'm sounding like I'm signing off. I'm not. I'm, I'm here with you tomorrow and Thursday. My holiday begins on Friday and away then until August 23rd. Can you put that in your diary? Can you, can you, can you, can you? Uh, Monday, August 23rd, I do return. It'll be quick. Holidays will be quick. It'll be quick for me. They always fly by, don't they, holidays? Obviously, we're not going any. We're not flying overseas. We're going to take some little trips around in our car. Me, the frog and the dog. That's what we're going to do. A few days away. Nothing extravagant. And uh, hopefully just uh, chill out. But that's not for a while yet. Lots to talk about tomorrow with Spiro Skouras and the brilliant Gerald Salente. He of Jesus. Jesus. Richie. Trendsresearch.com, the Trends Journal. I'm telling you, when it gets to this stage, that's when I realise I need a break. Trendsresearch.com, the Trends Journal, activistpost.com for Spiro Skouras, and find Spiro on youtube.com. Top man. Two great guests tomorrow. And as I said, there is a person or persons booked in for, for, uh, for Thursday. Breaking news, according to the BBC. I don't have my groan sting. I have a sting or a jingle for groaning. But apparently, wait for this, all 20 Premier League football clubs say that they will continue to take the knee as a symbol of their unity against all forms of racism this coming season. And they will wear a no-room-for-racism sleeve on their badges. 
Presumably, some of the supporters who are sick to death of being lectured to by a bunch of prissy little dickhead millionaire footballers, presumably many of the fans will continue to roundly boo them, as is their human right. I wonder will they attempt to start banning the supporters who boo the dipsticks who take the knee. How dare they take the knee? These little multi-millionaire bastards. These privileged little arseholes. There I said it. I called somebody privileged. They're not privileged. They're in the position they're in because they're skillful. Footballers. But they're only there because of the fans that they hose down every week. And by Christ, do they hose down the fans. £70 for a ticket, a fiver for a warm, shitty beer, another fiver for a pie, a fiver for a fucking programme, not to mention the things that you have to buy for your children. And much of that goes to maintain these multi-millionaires' lifestyles. And they think it's okay to take the knee. Somehow. And it is. Sending a message that the fans, the white fans, mostly white fans, of course it will be, in the stadiums, mostly. And that's because of the makeup of the country. Because most people are white. Sitting there, pontificating to their fans. Fuck them. I hope the fans continue to boo them next season. You'll never see me at a football match ever again. I'll never take a test, of course, and I'll never have a jab. My days of going to watch Salford and my days of going to watch Salford Rugby League team are over. And I don't mind. I can live with that. Dear listener, thanks for bearing with me for the last two hours. I I enjoyed it. I don't know if you did, but I did. You and I will converse again tomorrow at five with my two guests, Spiro and Gerald Salente. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Bye for now.